Before I get to um, what we're going to be uh, looking at in more depth today, uh, which is the end of Mark chapter 10, for those of you who've got your Bibles and, and want to open that up, um, I'll just take them. As we were singing there, Fresh Wind, it says all the people prophesy and sing. And I was drawn to uh, 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14, where Paul says, Strive for the spiritual gifts, especially that of prophecy. Okay? Of all the spiritual gifts, of all of those we place different um, importance on, the key, most important spiritual gift is that of prophecy. Okay? And, and Paul goes on through 14 talking about uh, prophecy and tongues and having a comparison between how people can get out of, out of the way and concentrate on tongues a little bit too much. And then he draws it back and he says, but if all prophesy, an unbeliever or outsider who enters is reproved by all that are called to account by all. After the secrets of the unbeliever's heart are disclosed, that person will bow down before God and worship him, declaring God is really among you. Okay, so as we, as we have just sang, let all the people sing and prophesy. I want to pray that over all of you, that you go and prophesy. And that you earnestly seek that gift of prophecy, as Paul tells us to. Because that, as he's just said there, is the one way we are guaranteed to speak into other people's lives who are outside of the church, who don't know Christ, and we get to reveal more about him to them and more of themselves that they don't even think people would know about. And as I read that, I'm reminded of the woman at the well and how Jesus says, no, you're not living with your husband. <laughs> you've had five or whatever, but the one you're with right now, no, he's not your husband. And she's like, how do you even know this about me? That interaction, revealing truth, speaking in love, Prophecy is the way. So let's not be afraid of prophecy. Let's pray for prophecy. So maybe we'll just do that before we dig into uh, what God's got for us specifically today in Mark 10. But Lord, we give you thanks for all the gifts that you give and you, you shower on us. And as we come to you, Lord, we just say, we want more of you. As we get rid of ourselves, we push ourselves aside, we want more of you. And we earnestly come to you this day and we pray. We pray, Lord, for more prophecy. We pray for more speaking of your truth into the lives of those who don't know you. Lord, give us courage. Give us strength and perseverance as we eagerly push in to that gift for this time and this season, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, like I said, um, the main thing for today uh, that I feel God pushing us towards is to finish our season series on a topsy-turvy kingdom. And so we're at the end of Mark chapter 10. Okay? End of Mark chapter 10, you'll be looking at going, there's only seven verses there. Maybe, maybe he'll speak for a little bit less time than normal. Let's see, let's see where God takes us with this, okay? I'm not going to make any promises. 
Um, the passage it starts and it opens with those words. Uh, they came to Jericho. Okay, I'm taking those first four words. They came to Jericho. That is very important. Okay, a very important piece of information. Why? Why? Because if you remember, as we've gone through this series, uh, Jesus and his disciples, they're on their way to Jerusalem. Okay, it's the last journey that he's going to make there. Okay, it's a journey towards the cross to, to fulfill that mission that the Lord uh, his father has called him to earth to accomplish. Okay? It's a journey to Jerusalem. It's a crusade to the cross. He's left Galilee. Okay? He's left Capernaum. And he's headed towards Jerusalem, to the borders of Judea, and then beyond to Jerusalem. And this is where we've concentrated on a lot of what we've talked about this series, of Jesus' words and his actions on the road. But the fact that now he has arrived in Jericho tells us that he and his followers have crossed the River Jordan. Okay? They are, um, <laughs> okay, you could say Jericho is kind of like, for many of you, um, Ocean City. All right? It's like a popular resort. A lot of people are there, a nice city. Um, Herod has spent a lot of time rebuilding it. Um, and so, at this point, cross the Jordan, come to Jericho, okay? It's a natural place to go through when you're leaving Galilee and on the way to Jerusalem. So we know that that destination is still in mind, and we know that he's getting nearer and nearer to the end of it, okay? The rest of verse 46 reads, And he and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. Okay? So he got to Jericho. We're not told a great deal of anything about what happened there. We're just told that he got there and that he left there. Okay? But it's an important place on the journey. We'll talk about Bartimaeus for a second. Well, to see a beggar when you're in a town or a city, uh, for Jesus, that wasn't something that was uncommon. For many of the disciples, that wasn't something that they wouldn't have been used to seeing. The majority of work that was done back in that day, it would have been heavy labor, yeah, and um, physical labor. So to have a, a disease or, or be ill uh, in a different way or, or to have a disability, and be, it, it would have been crippling to your ability to be able to work. Okay, so that's why you had someone who was a beggar. They were unable to work. They'd struggle to find work to be able to hold down a job, and so they were forced into a life of begging. And if we think, really, there's sadness in that, okay? Because God's law commands the people of Israel to take care of those who can't take care of themselves. Okay, Leviticus 25, if you start at verse 35, uh, it says, I'm going to read this from my iPad so I don't get any of it wrong. Um, if any of your kin fall into difficulty and become dependent on you, you shall support them. You shall live with, they shall live with you as the resident aliens. Do not take interest in advance or otherwise make a profit from them. 
But fear your God. Let them live with you. You shall not lend them your money at interest, taken in advance, or provide them food at a profit. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan to be your God. All right? That's important. That's important for us to understand because here, blind Bart, Bartimaeus, um, he's stuck in a lifestyle that is not his choosing. He's stuck in a lifestyle which has been forced upon him. Those who were supposed to take care of him have chosen not to. They've rejected the kingdom life which they're called to live. And instead, they've, they've chosen to follow a different way. And if we go back through this series, we've met quite, quite a few people like that. We get into verse 47. And we're talking about blind Bart here. They say, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now we know many people address Jesus as the son of David. Okay, the next chapter is full of a lot more of that as it goes into recounting Palm Sunday. Okay, it was a popular expression. Why was it a popular expression? Because, because of prophecy. Because of Isaiah's words when he said that the Messiah would come from David's line. Okay? Um, those of you who would know scripture into Isaiah, if you don't know it so well and you love Handel's Messiah and you've listened to that, you'll have heard these words time and time again. I'm going to read from Isaiah 9, uh, 6 and 7. says, for a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time onward, and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Okay? Mark is telling us that Bartimaeus has called out Jesus, son of David. And that that points to the fact that this blind beggar, sitting on a roadside between Jericho and Jerusalem, as you leave Jericho, heading to that road of Jerusalem, this blind beggar who sits there believes that Jesus is the Messiah. He believes Jesus of Nazareth, and nothing good can come out of Nazareth, we're told, right? But we know one thing that did. Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. And he's there shouting it out. I can hear in between the text people like, shh, shut up. <laughs> Go away. <laughs> we're, we're on a mission, don't you know? Don't distract him. Yeah, causing a ruckus, causing a scene. But Blind Bart is persistent, and he just keeps shouting louder and louder, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And we're told in verse 48 that that happens, <laughs> that he just keeps crying out and crying out, and Jesus hears him. And what's Jesus' response? Jesus stops. 
He stops in the same way that he stopped when the rich young man came to him and knelt at his feet. He stops, but in this case, he stops and like he turns and he goes, let him come, let him come to me. And here, Bartimaeus is, <laughs> I, I, I kind of get this picture. He's like, what? He, he wants me to come to him? And the people are saying, take heart. He's calling for you. He's calling for you. Yeah? Bart couldn't run to Jesus like the, like the rich young man did. He couldn't kneel at his feet because he didn't know where Jesus was. And so the people are like, take heart. He is calling for you. Come on. And they take him to Jesus. And as Bart hears those words of being called, his response is definitely one that we should note. Okay? He throws off his cloak. And he springs to his feet and he comes to Jesus. Now, why, why is that so noteworthy? He threw off his cloak. Well, let's think for a minute. What does that cloak mean? Okay? What does that cloak mean? And I'll come to that in a few minutes. But I just want you to ponder that and you to think on that. You see, for a sighted person, springing to your feet and coming to Jesus when he calls for you might be a very normal response. Yeah, think back to Peter and Andrew, to James and to John, when Jesus says, come, follow me. What do they do? They leave their boats and they go to follow him. They respond because they can see where he's going and they know where they're going to be able to follow him. Bartimaeus isn't able to do that. Okay, think about Matthew. What does Matthew do? He leaves his tax booth, he gets out of it, and he walks after Jesus. Okay? It's a very normal thing to do, to spring to your feet and to go after Jesus. But if you're blind, you can't quite do that. You can't quite do that. I've already made that comparison with the rich young ruler and how he came to Jesus and how Jesus responded to him in love and in compassion. And he's doing exactly the same thing for Bartimaeus right now. Okay? But for blind, for this blind man, his response is so, so very different to that of the rich young man. How is it different? Well, the rich young ruler, what does Jesus say to him? Jesus says, go, sell all your possessions, give the money to the poor and come and follow me. He says, give up everything that's important to you and follow me. Those words from Jesus to blind Bartimaeus. Call him to me, call him to me. Bartimaeus' response is to throw off his cloak this is why that's an important thing we need to really dig into. What does it mean to throw off his cloak? Well, in Jericho, it's too hot in the day to wear a cloak. Yeah, Bartimaeus was not wearing the cloak. He didn't throw it off his shoulders. You forget he sat on the ground begging. Okay, the cloak is there for warmth at a nighttime when it gets a bit cooler. But for this blind man, that cloak is a net to catch the coins which are thrown at him by everyone who passes by. Okay? That cloak is most likely over, over his lap a little bit so he can know where it is. The coins are thrown into the cloak so he's not on his hands and his knees searching around for where they may have rolled on the road. 
It's a net to catch the money which has been thrown at him. It's a support line. It's a lifeline for him. And when he hears Jesus say, come to me, his reaction is not, let me get all my coins in order. It's not, oh, I've got to get these important things. That I, uh, no, bloke's gone. And, he, and, and, and off he's is to, to, to Jesus. I think that happens. You can imagine these coins just going ding, 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 all over the stone pavement. Yeah? And he doesn't have a care because Jesus has called him. That's the difference between blind Bart and the rich young ruler. Okay? The rich young ruler recognized Jesus as a good teacher. Yeah? I can learn something from you, but I'm not prepared to give up my cozy life to really let it impact my life, and I'm not ready to go that extra mile. Blind Bart, he sees Jesus as the Son of God, Son of David, the Messiah, here. And I don't care about these coins anymore. Jesus wants me there. I'm going. What a comparison. What a difference in reaction. And Bartimaeus comes up to Jesus. The cloak's gone. The money's gone. And he has no idea how to go. He, he can't go back. He can't go and find that cloak again. I think all these people that are going with Jesus that are behind him, that cloak's gone. It's in the mix. It's been trampled all over. The coins are under everyone's feet. He'll be there a long time trying to pick those up, having no sight, crawling around on his hands and knees. And then we come to verses, to the next, the next verses. Jesus is stood still and he calls him and Jesus says to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man says to him, teacher, let me see again. Let me see again. And Jesus says, go, your faith has made you well. And immediately, Bart sees. And what does he do? He follows Jesus on the way. He doesn't go back looking for his cloak or his coins because he can see now it'd be a lot easier. No, instead, he leaves his old life behind him and he concentrates on following Jesus. Now, we touched on, on the way in which Bartimaeus gets who Jesus is, son of David, Messiah. But can you think of others who through the gospel story that haven't done that? And especially people who come into contact with Jesus for the first time. But there's another contrast I want to pick up. And it's one that we touched on a few weeks ago. Um, the story of James and, James and John. Okay? Jesus asked the question, what do you want me to do for you? And I always think, like, duh. I can't see. Why else is he going to come to you? But Jesus doesn't assume. Doesn't assume what Bart needs the most. Don't know what's going on in the guy's life. There could be something he thinks is more important 
than his sight. Jesus says, what do you want? And Bart says, I want to see. See, what Jesus does in reaching out and asking that question is, is really to get to know Bartimaeus a little bit more. He's to, he's to let him, to seek his heart, to connect to him, you know, to say, what do you want? Do you want to live a life as a beggar? Do you want to be sat there every day? Or do you want to have to get up and go to work in the morning? Because you can't sit there as a beggar if I give you your sight back. Because no one's going to give you any money then. Right? Are you willing to learn a trade, to learn a skill, to go and do something with your life? Like I say, you think back to James and John. Because Jesus asked that very same question earlier on in this story. Earlier on in this journey to Jerusalem, he says to James and John, what do you want me to do for you? And what was their response? Their response was, hey, give us some glory. Give us some power. Let us sit at each side of you when you're the king. Men who have walked with Jesus, who have been with him for three years listening, asking the wrong question. Not seeing Jesus, Jesus for who he is and why he is. And here's a man who can't see in the physical sense, seeing exactly what he needed to see at that moment. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus saying, your faith has made you well. You left everything to come to me. You left it all. And his response in that again, having received his sight, is to do what? Is to follow Jesus. I think Bartimaeus is streets ahead of the disciples at this point. Streets ahead of them. He knows what it is to follow Jesus. He's given it all up to go with the Messiah. He already had that faith. Have we touched on it earlier? Like, Jesus... You're the son of David. I know who you are. And he steps into that belief. And he says, just make me well. Just make me well. And Jesus says, your faith has healed you. How many times do we hear Jesus saying that? Your faith has healed you. Bartimaeus is a man worth imitating. Okay? He's a man who is, he's living out Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, which there says to us, you know, this is before it was even written down for us to look at. Bartimaeus is there. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. Let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and protector of our faith, who, for the sake of the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Bartimaeus was living that. He was living that. And I think Jesus' question now, what do you want? 
okay? It confirms that Bartimaeus is ready to leave that life of begging. It confirms that he isn't wanting to sit on his bum, that he's wanting to get up, that he wants to enter a life of working, that he wants to see what it is to follow Jesus and to start living into it because he's now able to. That's a very, very different life to the one that he had only moments earlier. And then we read in this last verse. We read that Jesus told him his faith made him well. He received his sight, but he received so much more than his sight. Because he got the chance, like I just said, to literally follow Jesus. He could now see where to put his feet so he could walk. Where he's not going to trip over the stones or the branches on the road. He doesn't need a guide to hold his hand the whole way. He has matured to follow Jesus personally for himself and to be able to put his eyes on Jesus, to fix them there as he goes. Where you go, Lord, I'm going, is kind of the the, the words I hear him say as he says, I'm going to follow. Bartimaeus had his life turned upside down in an instant. All because of an encounter with Jesus. Isn't that what should happen to everyone? You think about a time when you've had your life turned upside down because of an encounter with Jesus? We should have our boat rocked. Our ideals, our principles, the very life that we live, the ideas that we have changed as a result of getting to know Jesus, of sitting just one second with him, and all things should change. It's not a one-time thing, okay? It's not just, I remember the day and the time when I said yes to Jesus, and everything's been great since. You can put your hand up to that. I'd love to talk to you afterwards. Um, because I can't. I can't say everything's been great. Yeah, I've had struggles. Yeah, I've had, I've had plenty of um, falling out because of Jesus with other people. It's not a one-time thing. It's an everyday thing. The opportunity to meet with him to be changed by him, to become more like him. We should all want that all the time. I wonder how you answer that question today. What do you want from me, Jesus says? Is your mind turned to worldly things? Power and glory? in a similar way to to James and John? Or or does your mind go to things that are more of the kingdom? What do I need to be able to better follow Jesus? What do I need to be able to better help others follow Jesus? Take heart. Get up. Jesus is calling you. 
They're the words that the people around Bartimaeus said to him. And they're the words I want to say to all of you here on site and those listening at home. Take heart, get up, Jesus is calling you. And he's going to ask you that question. What do you want? How are you going to, how are you going to respond? How are you going to respond this morning? We've got some extra time, maybe. I don't know how long I spoke for. Maybe. Um, I'd love for opportunity for you to be, uh, if you came with someone else, to be having a, a little conversation about that. Uh, maybe pray, pray with one another. If you came by yourself and you're not sure, then I'm, I'm here by myself today. <laughs> you, someone can come and pray with me if they want to. Um, but be praying into that. What do you want from Jesus today? And if you're thinking in your answer, that's not the right answer. That's not the answer that I should have. Then be praying to receive the right answer. Because we're not all perfect. We're going to give wrong answers. Yes, that's, that's part of life. But God wants us to want to get to the right answer, even if we're not there just yet. So have a bit of time. And be also thinking in all of this, it is All Saints Sunday. Okay? Um, there's many people who have gone before you who have poured into your life in many different ways. What can you take from their example as you take also from Bartimaeus' example right now? How do you answer that question from Jesus? What do you want from me? Because I want you to take heart and I want you to get up because he is calling you. Take a time to pray and then after we've, after we've done that, uh, Anne's going to lead us through a communion.